This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Suarez fires. Up front. Right field. Segura's out. Castellanos out. Weekly hit, Presley has it, ducked part of the way the first, underhand Sayuli inside, starts running the news. The Houston Astros break out the room from the Bronx, and they're headed back to the World Series for the fourth time in six years. Your 2022 American League champions, Houston Astros. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, October 27th. It is the final day off before the World Series begins on Friday. You might have heard the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be in the World Series, and we're going to get into that in a second. Um, But first, you know, there's some other stuff that has happened. Matt and I haven't really gotten to talk since the LCS has ended, so we want to catch up on those a little bit, a little bit of news around the rest of the majors. Uh, Matt, it feels like the Yankees and Astros series, I mean, it was a sweep. It went by so quickly that I barely even remember what happened, and yet I'm still hearing Yankees fans complain that Aaron Boone wasn't fired directly into the sun. And while I don't think he covered himself in glory, I don't think he had a great postseason, I mostly think that people underestimate the just talent level difference between the Astros and the Yankees. The Astros were full stop a better team. The Yankees were hurt, less talented. It wasn't because of, I don't know, analytics or whatever boogeyman word you want to use. The Astros were the better team, regular season and postseason. No doubt. And we've talked about this a bit in recent podcasts and like it, it keeps coming up and it's going to come up again when we talk about the Phillies is like using end of season win totals as a shorthand for team difference between teams can be really misleading. And I think that the Yankees might actually be the biggest example of this in all of the postseason because like 99 wins. Okay. That looks great. But like the team they had on the roster, on the field was an, was like probably a slightly above average team. Um, like maybe like an 85 to 90 win team, then when you, when you think about like what they were doing early in the season when they were like playing way over their heads, they looked like they were on like an 110 win pace. And then of course, you know, Michael King gets hurt. Clay Holmes stops being the best reliever in baseball. Jose Trevino, who made the all-star team, comes back down to earth. Um, all the midseason acquisitions they made, most of them turned out to be nothing. Like Frankie Montez basically did nothing for them. Scott Efros got hurt. He was not on the postseason roster. Andrew Benintendi got hurt, was on the postseason roster. The one guy, the guy that got all the criticism, Harrison Bader. Oh, what a terrible trade. How can we trade Jordan Montgomery? <laughs> he was the one guy who actually showed great. up in the postseason and was great for the Yankees. But like you looked at the roster on the field and you're like, this is not, you know, they're like switching shortstops every game. <laughs> it was just like, so to your point, like, yeah, the Astros are much better. Of course, the Yankees could have won the series. But like it's it was not a shocking result by any by any means. Yeah, I did 
kind of see people just like grasping at straws for reasons why things didn't work out, right? It's like, oh, how could you start Matt Carpenter after he'd missed two months with a foot injury? And he was terrible, right? Seven Ks and 10, 10 plate appearances. But I also didn't mind trying to find magic somewhere when you didn't have any magic. And do people forget Kyle Schwarber? Does nobody remember what happened in the 2016 World Series where Kyle Schwarber didn't play for like six months and then went 10 for 20 in the World Series? Like, is it likely? No. Can it happen? Sure. Do I agree with Boone's bullpen moves? Not really. They were kind of weird. But the Astros were just really good. If you look at the, I think my favorite stat from the series, it's not favorite if you're a Yankee fan, I'm sorry. The strikeout rate between these two teams, the Yankee batters struck out literally twice as often as the Astros batters did, right? 35% strikeout rate for the Yankees, 17% strikeout rate for the Astros. And I don't think we've talked enough, anybody has talked enough about how the Astros are really like the perfect ideal of what the Guardians tried to be, which is that, hey, let's make a ton of contact. We're not going to strike out. We're going to go into this. And we're going to make a ton of contact, except we're going to make good contact because we're not just going to roll over and ground out to second base. We're going to pound the ball into the outfield, even though Altuve hasn't done much at all. Tucker hasn't done much at all. Even Jordan Alvarez was awesome for two games in Seattle, hasn't on that much since we'll get more to the Astros in a minute but when I when I look at that number it it's an indictment I think of the Yankees offense which was terrible and also an enormous credit to the Astros pitching like I, I don't again did Boone do a good job no was there much he could have done there Here, here's the question I'll ask you you take the two rosters you flip the managers Dusty Baker managing the New York Yankees Aaron Boone managing the Houston Astros which team do you think wins that series I still I mean, the Astros. Of course, it's the Astros. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, fond farewell to the Yankees, and uh, I guess we can all look forward to an entire winter of angst about where Aaron Judge is going to go. I'm not prepared to think about that. We'll get to that soon. The other one, um, the Phillies beat the Padres. I think everybody thought this was going to be a little closer than it was, and it's really funny. Like I, I'm guilty of this myself. What did I just do with the Yankees? I talked about Aaron Boone. Everybody talked about Aaron Boone. Meanwhile. I think Bob Melvin, the San Diego manager, had a way worse postseason. Like, he is way more responsible for the demise of his team than Aaron Boone was. And if you go to, like, the very, very end of the series, the infamous already bunt, I believe there was already one out. So it's the second to last out you have of your season. Trent Grisham is up, and he lays down. Uh, So Bob Melvin described this as, like, a uh, something in between a sack bunt and a bunt for a hit. Not sure that's a real thing that exists. I think that might be just covering for your guy, which, like, fine. But the thing that nobody talked about there, you know who's on the mound for Philly at this point? Wasn't one of their relievers. It was Ranger Suarez, who is maybe the best defensive pitcher in baseball. So you're going to give up an out, your second to last out of the season, A, with Ranger Suarez on the mound, and B, so that Austin Nola, who's behind you, can hit to end your season? I have many thoughts, and none of them are positive. It was a weird play all around, and you know, this I saw some speculation that oh maybe Grisham did it on his own, and Melvin was just kind of trying to stand up for his guy, which managers do sometimes. That's all well and good, but you also could tell your player you might be tempted to bunt here. Do not bunt. Swing away. We need a hit, right? Like it's not just like you don't just give the player agency to do what they want. If you want them to do a specific thing, A or B, that's your job as the manager to make it clear, like, hey, here's what our plan is on this play. He did get the bunt down. The runners advanced. I guess that was good. But then, of course, Austin Nola, not surprisingly, flied out to end the series. 
my my favorite thing because this is just so funny we talked a lot so Trent Grisham uh great outfielder right had a really just miserable season he didn't hit not at all this season and he goes off against the Mets and the Dodgers right an OPS north of north of 1300 and everybody's all oh, Trent Grisham he's on a hot streak he's great do you know what Trent Grisham's line was for the entire National League Championship Series it was Z- zero <laughs> zero heads <laughs> Zero, zero. Here's the slash line. Zero, 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 slash, zero, 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 slash, zero, zero, zero. So remember that the next time you hear someone say, well, he's on a hot streak. That hot streak will continue. It doesn't always. And none of that was maybe the most inscrutable thing about the series because, you know, Padres went out and traded for Josh Hader. And Hader was terrible for like a month. But then over the last couple of weeks and then into the playoffs, it's great. He looked like typical, unhittable Josh Hader. Uh, it's been like five days now. I'm still waiting for him to come in to this to these games, and I'm starting to think maybe it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I the, the bunt got more attention. I thought the decision to not have Hater in to face Bryce Harper when Bryce Harper hit his now legendary uh, series clinching homer was way more egregious. Um, I could I understand the defense of oh well you know we didn't want to get. Hater, we didn't think Hater could pitch two innings, and Suarez hadn't given a home run to a lefty all year. He's been good against lefties. I hear it. I think it's bogus. Like Hater had <laughs> Hater is the best left-handed pitcher, left-handed reliever in baseball, pitching at the top of his game right there. You've acquired him basically for this situation. It was so obvious it was coming. Bryce Harper was due up that inning, right? So like they're like then there was also like oh well Hater wasn't ready yet. Well if Hater's not ready yet, then that's embarrassing because Hater should definitely be ready for that situation. I could understand if JT Realmuto had been retired and there was one out and he and Harper only represented the tying run. At that point, though, once Ramuto gets on, it's man on first, no outs, Bryce Harper up, eighth inning, Bryce Harper's locked in as good. I mean, in general, already like one of the best hitters in baseball to begin with. It's like, this is the series. You need Josh Hader in there. Josh Hader did not pitch in any of the games in Philadelphia. That was egregious. It was terrible. Um, it wasn't surprisingly, I mean, it was an exciting series considering it went five games. Um, there was a lot of cool, memorable moments, some comebacks, lots of stuff. You know, like the Padres had a huge comeback in game two. I mean, game one, you had the Schwarber crazy homer, you know, 490 feet, 480 feet. Game two, you had the big Padres comeback when, when they got a fell behind against Nola. Then you had, um, I can't even remember, I'm trying to Then I know it gets Phillies won game three, and then game four was the, and I don't blame Bob Melman for this, the fact that Mike Clevenger couldn't get a, a single out. Like, he didn't really have any other better options there. That kind of... You know, they go out of 4 nothing. You're like, oh, we're going to win this game. And then, like, he doesn't get a single out. I don't really blame them for that. They didn't have a lot, much better in the way of options there. But the the hater thing, I was screaming at my TV. I was angry on behalf of Padres fans. Hater in the postseason uh, faced 18 batters across multiple series, and he struck out 10 of them. <laughs> you'd think you'd want to use him as often as possible. All right, all I want to do is talk about the World Series, so let's lightning around some other, like, quick news and notes here. Um, like an hour ago, David Stern stepped down in Milwaukee. He's going to stay on as a consultant to whatever, but it's pretty clear it's the end of the line here. And I know you and I are both New Yorkers, and I we everything gets too New York-centric, and I'm the first to admit we're guilty of that. Every Mets writer on the face of the planet is already, like, booking David Stern's plane ticket to New York. He's still under contract to the Brewers. There'd have to be an arrangement made, whatever. Uh, were you surprised to see that that happened? happened uh, right now I was um I also like I mean hey I, I nothing would surprise me but like it'd be really weird to go up on the podium and be like I want to spend more time with my family 
and then go take the Mets job like two weeks later. Like if you're, he, he, David Stern's is smart enough, I think, to say at least come up with some other excuse that I want to spend more time with my family if he's then to go go and just go run and take the Mets job. But hey, I've been surprised before. Uh, Adam Wainwright is coming back for one more season, and I'm I'm appreciative that he specified one more season. Like he said, this is it. This is the season. I don't want to go through like a whole year of will he or won't he. This is going to be my last season. It'll be age 41 for him. Adam Wainwright has been with the Cardinals for so long that he was actually teammates with Bob Gibson. That is definitely true. And you should absolutely look it up. But on a you know somewhat more serious, but still kind of half joking note, his career, I think, is going to have spanned a really interesting time in baseball history. Right. He came up and made his debut in late 2005. His first year it was 2006. There was no pitch tracking then. That's before pitch effects. You could not in his first year in the majors go look up how hard he was throwing his fastball. Like that data just did not exist. And think about all the stuff we have now, right? Like, you know, limb tracking and spin axis. You couldn't find out his velocity in his first year. I couldn't tell you right now how hard he threw it his first year, which is insane to me. Nobody shifted, almost nobody, like David Ortiz, guys like that had a couple shifts. He went through the entire shifting era and that's not going to be there next year. When he came up, nobody, I wouldn't say nobody talked about this because it was a baseball thing, but you certainly couldn't track it. Nobody talked about pitch framing, right? You went through that whole rise and not quite fall, but you know, if the ABS system comes to fruition, it just, he has lived through such an interesting time. And with the exception of like, I don't know, the Jackie Robinson guys, I, I can't think of another 17 year period in baseball where so much change would have happened. And I just think that's a really interesting way to look at his career. To me, is it like there's very few players who are associated more with one franchise than Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals? And he wasn't even drafted by the Cardinals. He was <laughs> traded when he was still a prospect. So, for those who don't know, he was drafted by the Braves and traded for, for J.D. Drew. But it's pretty funny to think about because like he is like synonymous with the Cardinals. Uh, he was drafted. Uh, you forgot somebody. Ray King, Jason Marquis, and Eli Marrero was also in that trade. Now you've definitely remembered some guys. The Marlins have a new manager. I don't have any particular thoughts on whether Skip Schumacher is a good or bad manager. I think that they need some bats. Maybe he can convince some bats. I was surprised it wasn't someone uh, like one of the guys who's been in the interviews for a while, like uh, Joe Espada or Pedro Griffal. Like you'd think, you know, Spanish speaking manager would have made some amount of sense, but Skip Schumacher is thought of very highly. So cool. I always thought it was Schumacher until yesterday. I found out it was actually Schumacher. So you learn something new every day. Yes, it is. Um, and then the the White Sox and the Royals still have open jobs. And there was a rumor that the White Sox had settled on Joe Espada, but that hasn't happened yet. I really want the Ozzyian rumor. That would be so fun. It'd be so weird and kind of dumb, but as a fan of chaos, what would be better than that? You like, that's, exa- that's generally my feeling as well. Can you make that happen? That's generally my feeling as well. As a fan of chaos, I want Ozzy back on the South Side. Oh, I do miss managing. He's, uh, well, you know what? He's... All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the World Series. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrio and Matt Myers, and we are ready to dive into the World Series, which starts on Friday. Fun fact, the last time the Astros lost a game was 24 days ago to the Phillies in a game started by Aaron Nola. I looked this up. It is the first time in baseball history the World Series contestants finished their regular season <clears throat> Excuse me, against each other. Obviously, that was impossible for many years before interleague play, but still, it's the first time it's ever happened. The Astros have not yet lost a game. And there's a small part of me that wants the Astros to go undefeated because then you can say, well, all the narrative about the underdogs and what happened, the number one seed Astros tore through the playoffs. Look what happened. Only one team has ever gone undefeated in the postseason in the divisional era. The 1976 Reds went 7-0. and Nobody's ever done it in the wildcard era. So not that I think the Astros will sweep, but if they do, it's on the table. That could be pretty cool. And the first two pitching matchups are set. It's going to be pretty fun. Nola versus Verlander in game one. Zach Wheeler versus Framber Valdez in game two. And then it gets a little bit squirrely. But before we get there, I would say there's not necessarily an edge, I don't think, between these two teams in game one and game two starters, right? Like they're very different kinds of pitchers, all four of them, right? But I think I couldn't look at each set of two and say, oh yeah, I, I clearly favor one over the other. I think for the Phillies, this is maybe the place they match up the best with the Astros. For sure. I think, I mean, Verlander, as good as he is, Nola is one of the few players who, who pitchers who credibly could be like, you feel like is a, a fairly even matchup. I think Valdez is actually kind of a tough matchup for the Phillies lineup just because he's both left-handed and keeps the ball on the ground. And they really, they've got two left-handed guys who hit a lot of home runs. So he should be well suited to to neutralize uh, Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, you know, theoretically. But um, so I think that is a little bit of a tough matchup for for Philly in that regard, but it's, I mean, those, those like for games one and two, that's the nice thing about the layoff between um, the LCS and the World Series is we get like the ace pitchers lined up full rest. We should theoretically get to see everyone putting their best foot forward. You know, I read something really interesting about the way the schedule plays out. So the way this works is games one, game one Friday, game two Saturday, All right? There's two off days in the series here. There's an off day on Sunday, and there's also an off day on Thursday. And I didn't realize until I saw someone tweet this on Sunday, and on Thursday, the Eagles play games. So if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, this slots in perfectly for you, and you might as well just take like an entire week off of work and just go nuts. Did you know on Game 3, the first Phillies home game in the World Series uh, in, what, 12 years, is on Halloween? Is that going to be a scene? I'm not even a Phillies fan, and I'm like, oh, man, I want to go to that. It's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be wild. Also, you didn't even mention that that second Eagles game next Thursday is against the Houston Texans. Is that right? Yes. Uh, they're not still the Oilers. <laughs> Pretty wild how that, okay. how that That's how that worked fun. out. I, I didn't know that. You know, it, it's going to be an absolutely wild week if you're a Phillies fan uh, or a Philadelphia fan. So here's where it gets a little weird with the starting pitching, right? So you got Nola Verlander, you got Wheeler Valdez. Game three, in theory, Rangers Suarez versus Lance McCullers, and maybe that's what it'll be. But Rob Thompson said, and this is what I read in uh, Todd Zalecki's piece this morning, Rob Thompson said he does not know who will start game three on Monday night or game four on Tuesday night, 
Although left-hander Ranger Suarez is a good bet to start game three, game four, likely a bullpen game started by Noah Syndergaard or Bailey Falter. And he also said there's just there's no chance he's only going to start three guys and bring him back on short rest. So game four is either going to be, you know, a couple of piggyback guys going two innings apiece or an opener or whatever. But I think here uh, it's the exact opposite of what I just said with the top two starters, right? Not much separation in the top two starters. Here is where you have an enormous Houston advantage. Because if you look at the playoffs so far, Houston has so many good pitchers, they can't even find room for them on the mound. Jose Urquidy hasn't even pitched yet. Luis Garcia is only coming in relief, coming into the 14th inning of that game in Seattle and throwing five innings of scoreless baseball. And then my favorite instance is Lance McCullers hurts his elbow getting hit by a champagne bottle. That's your number three starter. For any other team in the postseason that happens, absolute disaster, doom and gloom. They're like, okay, cool. We'll just we'll just pull up Christian Javier, who had like a three and a half war season, and uh, he'll outduel Garrett Cole. No, no problem. We're fine. Like the pitching depth aspect of this, this is, I think, the biggest advantage on either team. And one of the craziest things about the postseason so far was that 18-inning game between the, the Mariners and the Astros where, like, they brought in Luis Garcia to pitch in, in a relief, and he threw, like, four or five scoreless innings. And, like, the, the Mariners here are, like, about to, like, call on, like, Jay Buhner to pitch. And, like, <laughs> and, like they even hadn't even used Jose Urquidy yet. They, like, still had, like, another, like, stretched out, like, quality starting pitcher, like, ready to go for innings 19 through 24. They're, they're pulling guys out on, like, I feel like I watch baseball pretty closely, right? And they in the ALCS, here comes Brian Abreu. And he's not some nobody. He was on the team like all year. Uh, but he was not someone I knew much about, you know? And he's throwing absolute filth at Giancarlo Stanton, like 99 at the bottom of the zone. And I looked it up. He's throwing five miles an hour harder than he did two years ago. And he's what? Their 10th best pitcher on the staff? I think like if you... If you Forget starter and reliever. Just look at pitchers, right? And if you were to order each team's pitchers by, you know, talent from one to 12, I think you could get down to five, the top five from each team. So including, you know, Dominguez and Alvarado. And maybe it's not that big of a difference. But then you get from six to 12. And that that is a massive difference because I know Noah Syndergaard's a famous name. He is not the guy he used to be with the Mets. Oh, that's a good segue because I think you mentioned Syndergaard and, he's, and, and Rob Thompson said, Game four could be a bullpen game, either started by Syndergaard or Bailey Falter. And this seems to be exactly the dilemma that the Guardians faced in game five against the Yankees, or game yeah, game five against the Yankees in the ALDS, where basically they started Aaron Savale, who's like a, a decent mid-rotation starter, when like the option of the opener was on the table, and they didn't do it. And I think it, I understand the dilemma. We talked about this. But in retrospect, they probably wish they had. The bottom of the Astros lineup is noticeably weaker than the top of their lineup. So the chance to actually bring in, like, start the game with like a one of their better high leverage relievers. I'm th- I'm think- I'm thinking it would probably be like maybe Andrew Bellotti or Connor Brogdon who's got that good changeup as opposed like to face the top of the order as opposed to having. Syndergaard face the top of the order when when you get a Syndergaard coming in the second inning and face like the bottom of the order and then maybe have to come back around or or same thing applies to Falter and face them again like when you consider that you know Altuve and Jordan Alvarez only get like four or five at bats in a game you want to really maximize your matchups in there the Phillies it doesn't seem like something they've done you know cer- certainly like under Dombrowski so I don't see them doing this but should they do it I think it's a valid question the big difference is that the Guardians bullpen was a lot deeper 
you know, you could take one of those guys out and still be like, well, I still got plenty of other guys. I don't necessarily feel that way about the uh, the Phillies. And obviously a lot of it depends on the situation, like what has happened to that point, which we can't sit here and know that. But I don't feel comfortable starting no Syndergaard. But here's a question. What if, and this might be hard to do just because like I don't have the pitcher's mindset here. The Phillies have a reliever who has mostly been a starter and he's a reliever now because he's not stretched out. And that's Zach Eflin. And you can't go to Eflin and say, hey, you know, go out and give me five or six like you normally would. Could you go to him and say, hey, bring your reliever mindset, but you're used to being a starter. So like I, I could see concern in saying, oh, hey, Andrew Bellotti, um, you're starting a World Series game. Good luck with that. Whereas Eflin at least has had, you know, high leverage starting pitching. But could you go out there and like make him think like a reliever and not think he's trying to get through innings? You know, I really like this idea because, you know, Eflin had sort of started to become their closer, but he's not like. Not really anymore. They've really kind of made. I feel like Dominguez has become more of the, like the quote unquote closer, and they, they don't really have the set role anyway. So for that game specifically, um, I really I really I really like this idea, Mike. Good job by you. I feel like we've we've uh, yeah we've no we've talked ourselves into this um, almost completely. I, I do want to talk about the way that the Phillies got here, and this is like a highly specific to 2022 season here. There are were two pretty massive rule changes to the way that baseball works this year. And without either of these, the Phillies are not playing in the World Series. The first one's obvious. The playoffs expanded. There are six teams now. The Phillies were the sixth team last year. Under last year's rules, they would have gone home. Here they are as the number six seed in the World Series. But the other thing, too, is this... I'm setting aside 2020 because that was a fake season that didn't count except for the World Series. This is the first year in the National League has had the DH. And you might remember, Bryce Harper hurt his elbow in like the fourth game of the season. You know, he has not played the field since April 17th, I want to say. So he DH'd for months. Then he got hit by a pitch and broke his thumb and he was out. And then the thumb healed and he came back, but the elbow is still an issue. So he is unable to throw. If not for the DH, he would not have been playing for the Phillies since April. And now, as I say that, now I'm thinking through this, I guess it's possible he would have just had elbow surgery right away and come back later in the season if there was enough time. I guess I'm not really sure how that would have worked. But the point is, without the DH, uh, he would not have hit as often as he did, and he was obviously a big part of their success. If we were playing with hit with pitchers hitting, if let's say Aaron Nola was hitting or Ranger Suarez was hitting, the Phillies would have gone home weeks ago. And I just think it's really interesting to think, here's two rule changes that directly impacted which team made it out of the NL. I mean, this is, I think this is like kind of shows what's cool and good about the rule. It's like, for a variety of reasons, and this is a very narrow, specific one, like we get the star hitters on the field more than instead of having to take a day off, maybe they DH. And in this case, it's like, oh, no, instead of like having to go on the IL, the 60-day IL and miss half the season, I can still play. I just have to DH. And like Bryce Harper in this postseason, I think, has been like exactly the kind of star you you want from baseball. Like, you know, they started doing these like in-dugout interviews after after big moments and the Phillies have been like really cool about it. They do them like it's not necessarily like the greatest insight, but like there have been moments like, you know, like when Reese Hoskins hit one, he was like, I, I didn't touch the ground going around the bases. Like it was so cool to hear them just like talk right in the moment. Harper's done it after all of his big home runs. And a lot of star players would just be like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. And the fact that he embraces that and does it, I think is fantastic. The fact that he like I'll admit some of his like shtick can be like a little bit corny but like i think it's real like the way he embraces like if you're a phillies fan like you would run through a wall for bryce harper he like you know pats the phillies logo every time he does something you see him on the podium he's like if you are a phillies fan you're on our team you're like you're with us like 
that's awesome. Like that's we need we need more players like doing that kind of thing to like get the fans excited. Like I I think Bryce Harper has had beyond just like what he's done on the field, just the way he's like carried himself as an ambassador for the team has been so fantastic. And, and it's funny that it's specifically Philadelphia because I had forgotten about this incident until I saw someone bring it up the other day. Do you remember he was so disliked that Cole Hamels threw at him when he was a rookie? Ooh, and the first pitch hits him right in the back. Well, fastball in, gets away from Cole, and we're not going to say there's any intention right here, but he wasn't going to miss Otto. And then, like, just straight up admitted it. <laughs> he's like, I don't like him. I hit him between the shoulder points. <laughs> and now he's like a favorite son of the city. And it, it's kind of funny you think about it, right? The, you know, usually we assume players will, like, love the, the team they came up with, like, they're homegrown. But, like, most players, especially those who were drafted, have no say in the team they first get to start go to. Go to. They're, just, they're drafted, and that's their team. Like, he didn't have any say in whether he was going to go to the Nationals or not. You know, whatever you want to say about his, his free agency, like, he chose to go there. So it's like, it makes sense that he'd be like, hey, this is where I want to be. I'm excited to be here. He did more than just choose to go there, right? Like, he, he signed a 13-year deal, and the, the trend at the time and currently is to have not only one opt-out, but multiple opt-outs, you know, like, to get out of it several times if you want to. And he said, I don't want an opt-out. Like, I don't want to even have that to think about. I'm going to raise my family here in Philadelphia. I think that's really cool. I here, There's some new, new information about the uh, the Bryce Harper story. So, when he was heading at the end of his career in in Washington, like in his free agency year in 2018. I remember very well, there's a lot of reports that he had been almost traded to the Houston Astros, right? And then it didn't happen. The Houston Chronicle actually talked to uh, former Astros GM Jeff Luno and got the names, like got the names in the package that it would have been, which I had never seen before until today. It's not impressive. (laughs) Now remember, free agent year, we're talking like two months of his time. So like, fair enough. Uh, Abraham Toro, who's like... Okay, Randy Cesar, who I've never heard of, uh, Josh James, who throws you know 101 miles an hour, but it's been hurt. Kent Emanuel, who's like been okay, and uh, JB Bukowskis. That's it. Maybe things would have been different if they'd gone to Washington, other than to you know the various places they went to. Um, but it, you know they had basically agreed on the deal that the front offices had, and Washington's ownership said, no, you know we're not actually comfortable with trading Bryce Harper, which fine. Uh, but I'd never seen the names put out there before. And it's kind of it's it's interesting to think what that team that didn't really go anywhere in 2018 for Houston might have looked like if Bryce Harper was uh, hitting there, and that would make this matchup even more fun. Well, you meant, you mentioned the the fact that the the package of players looked kind of light, as you said, it was a rental. It was also Bryce Harper 2018. He slugged under 500. He had like one of his like weird like years where he was just like good, but not otherworldly good, um, which is sort of part of the reason why his free agency kind of dragged out the way that the way that it did. But uh, it is very funny to think about in retrospect, had he been ended up. And I love how you say like the Astros didn't go anywhere. They only went to ALCS and lost to the eventual World Series champion Red Sox. Hey, but by the context of the Astros <laughs> of the last like seven years, that's that's not going anywhere. So anyway, Harper on the field in the World Series. I want to talk about that for a second, because obviously he's the biggest star in the series right now, especially with the way he's been playing. And um, our colleague David Adler did a piece on MLB.com today. I think David Adler is one of the the world's foremost uh, Bryce Harper scholars. The piece he wrote earlier this year about Bryce Harper's two different swings was one of my favorite pieces of baseball writing this year. If you haven't seen it, you should go look at it. Showed how Bryce Harper sometimes does a toe tap, sometimes does a high leg kick, and it's a very interesting analysis. But anyway, he pointed out that Bryce Harper, as I, I had noticed, but I never really fully noticed until he, he wrote about it, has basically been doing all of his damage this postseason to the opposite field. Um, and that's not an accident because so far in the postseason, all the teams have been pitching him 
fastballs, off speed, you name it, on the outside part of the plate. And he's been crushing it. And it's notable because games one and two are going to be in Houston with the Crawford boxes, which, as we all know, are not very far away. And so it'll be interesting to see the approach that um, Astros pitchers take, knowing that, A, the Crawford boxes are there, and B, Harper has clearly been seeing the ball very well in the outside part of the way plate and taking it that way. I have to imagine they're going to be a, more, a little more aggressive on the inside part of the plate. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about this. This is going to be the last series before the positioning band goes into place and you can't have the full overshifts. And I was trying to figure out well, who's going to be the last man to see one. And at first I thought Harper, but now if he's trying to go opposite field so much, I think that makes the answer Kyle Schwarber. I think Schwarber is going to be the last hitter to see a full over shift. I, I think you're right about Harper. I really like the point you made earlier about how um, for Amber Valdez is like a potentially compelling argument in terms of a matchup against both Schwarber and Harper. And I'm trying to think if I was Justin Verlander, incredibly accomplished, probably winning another Cy Young this year, definitely going to the Hall of Fame. Am I trying to work around what I think Harper is doing or am I just going to look in the mirror and say, no, I'm Justin Verlander. I'm going to pitch to my strength. I'm going to throw a fastball right by you. And maybe that's, you know, is that why he's going opposite field? Is he seeing more fastballs? I know he was at the end of the opposite season. If so, is he getting behind on the swings? I mean, even the home run was opposite field, wasn't it? Totally. He's had a couple of opposite field home runs this postseason. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we know he's not fully healthy, right? Like, I think that's going to be interesting to learn about in the offseason. Yeah, I said earlier the biggest advantage for either team for uh, would be the pitching depth that the Astros have. I think the second biggest advantage is going to be defense. Allow me to share with you my favorite stupid stat of the 2022 baseball season. The Phillies defense, known tire fire, Philadelphia defense, had the third fewest errors in baseball and tied for the second best fielding percentage. And man, if I see those numbers referenced on the broadcast, I'm going to absolutely lose my mind <laughs> because the Phillies defense is terrible. How do you not get errors? when you can't get close enough to the ball to even be charged with an error. And if you look at outs above average, the stack has defensive metric. Uh, the Phillies were second worst, which absolutely matches the eye test. The Astros were really good, second best. Of course, the Phillies did just beat the Padres, and they just beat the Cardinals, who have very good defense. And so it's not like, it's not like they can't beat them because of their defense. And I think they've improved in ways. I think the the infield is much better because Eduardo Sosa is pretty good. They got rid of D. Gregorius. Bryson Stott's pretty good. The outfield is very much a mess. Like I like Martian center. The corners are not good because Schwarber and, and, and Castellanos can't DH because Harper's there. Uh, to go back to my earlier point about errors, Nicholas Castellano, who is maybe the weakest regular defensive outfielder in baseball, has not been charged with an error since June of 2021. <laughs> which is just the dumbest thing. Um, I I think they've done a good job of improving their defense, improving their positioning, adding better fielders. But man, every time a ball is hit to anybody, it's still kind of terrifying. Like we saw this in the San Diego series, just to, to Segura. He'd make a great play and then do something insane. And it just feels like this is going to bite them at the worst possible spot sometime this series. They've managed to avoid it. You, know, you mentioned that there was the bad... Uh... Segura error on the botched double play in game three against the Padres, which they ended up coming back to win. And then there was uh, Alc Bohm, like botched a, a routine double play with a bad throw and like in, in game one that almost that they, they managed to overcome it. So it still feels like they, they've been managed to avoid disaster on their their defensive miscues. So maybe, you know, maybe the, their their luck will continue. 
it's really on the corners in the infield and outfield that really worry me. I have a lot more. I still have a lot more faith in Segura and Stott and Braden Marsh than I do and than I do in Hoskins, Schwarber, uh, Castellanos, and Baum. Baum. So that's that's the concerning part for me. I think what's interesting is that the Astros are, other than the Guardians, the second best contact hitting team in baseball. So they're going to put the ball in play a lot, right? So I think that that's something that's going to like they're they're going to the ball will find you as they say and the Phillies the ball is going to find them a lot because the ball is going to be in play a lot. The one thing I think you could say from the Phillies perspective however is they did just beat the Cardinals and Padres in the playoffs and those are also two of the best contact hitting teams in baseball as well. So maybe they you know maybe they figured something out there but that's what I what everyone's going to be watching is like will the Phillies beat themselves on defense? They did it a lot early in the season. It's gotten better but still waiting for that moment. Every time, as you said, I kind of hold my breath every time there's like a, a slightly tough play in a big spot with men on base. I, I'm sorry. I got kind of shell-shocked for a minute when you named the quartet of corner fielders there of Hoskins, Bo, Schwarber. Cast, that is rough. I mean, that's that that's rough. Uh, one thing I'll say for the Phillies, uh, well, two things really. One is um, the, the pitchers have been doing a really good job of not allowing rockets. You know, if you just look at ground balls, they've got the third lowest hard hit rate on ground balls. I don't know that that matters as much, though, because like the Phillies infield can kind of screw up the easy ground balls, too. But they do have one like incredibly valuable weapon, and that's JT Romuto behind the plate. So he is the best catcher in baseball as far as preventing stolen bases, right? He led the league in stolen bases. We have uh, eight years now, believe it or not, of StatCast pop time leaderboards, and he has been in the top three every single year of those eight years and that actually undersells it he's been number one for five years running pop time is just how quickly do you get the pitch out of your glove and down to second base what john carlos stanton is to exit velocity all right what hunter green is to pitch velocity that's what jt romuto is to pop time like he's fantastic at it and it's not like the astros are the 1985 cardinals here because like nobody plays that way anymore uh but Kyle Tucker is like a really effective base runner. 25 out of 28 this year. Or it's going to be 25 out of 29. Um, I think one of the other, one of the ones he got thrown out at was trying to steal home, which didn't work out for him. Uh, Altuve was, uh, had a very high success rate this year. And I was looking into this for a piece I'm, I'm trying to finish up here. Like, what's the, what's the right combination of pitcher and catcher if you are Kyle Tucker or Altuve or Jeremy Pena or whomever? And you want to try not to get killed by J2 Romuto. And it's not Ranger Suarez, who, believe it or not, only had two attempts against him this year. Like, that's how effective he is. Nobody even bothers. It's definitely Noah Syndergaard, who has, for years, had a reputation as being the like easiest guy to steal on. Um, but, Matt, I did, I did look this up, and I thought this was funny. With the Angels, he allowed 25 st- steals. And the only successful stolen base uh, caught stealing against him came when they guessed right on a pitch out, right? That's awful. With the Phillies, at least Romuto got two out of seven because Romuto's very good. The other guy is Aaron Nola, who is not that strong at, at preventing base runners from getting good leads. I don't know that this is going to be like a big focal point of the series, but in a big spot, if you're going to run, I think those are the guys you run on. I mean that's the thing. It's pitchers. Stolen bases are often thrown on the pitcher. Stolen the pitchers, as we know. Syndergaard being a perfect example. And this is a series with Marimuto and Martin Maldonado. We have two guys. 
with not only great reputations for pop times, also the numbers to back it up. So this also could be a bad a bad series for those who are interested in the uh, steal a base, steal a taco, because I don't even know if we're going to see any stolen bases in this series. <laughs> that's the storyline. That's the storyline story I'm watching. And it's often it's often random relievers, too, especially closers who are like very like conspicuously slow and, and times the play. So that's kind of often what I'm watching late in the game is like, okay, looking up relievers, how do people do against them? Because that's where it could come into play. And obviously Syndergaard, if, that's another reason not to start Syndergaard in, in game four is like how bad he is at holding runners. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to finish off. Matt and I are going to make some predictions here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, the World Series is about to start on Friday, and so we are legally obligated to make guesses about who is going to win and in how many games. But quickly before we do that, I do want to talk about the, the nature of being a favorite. I think everybody would agree that the Astros are favored here. Despite what you accurately said at the very top of our show about not judging a, a current roster's talent by seasonal win percentage, like that's totally true. On the other hand, the Astros won 106 games and the Phillies won 87. That is the second largest win disparity of all time. The only matchup with a wider gap came in, wait for it, 1906 between the Cubs and the White Sox. So this is a, a pretty large, you know, favorite versus underdog situation. And I think over a seven year over a best of seven, people maybe overestimate how much that means. I think people would take that as saying, oh, well. The Astros are 85% likely to win this series. And that's just not how it works. Like, for example, if you go to, to Zips, uh, Dan Saborski's projection system at Fangraphs, 58 to 42. He favors the Astros 58% and Philadelphia 42%. And like, yeah, that sounds right. Like, you put these two teams together 10 times to play a best of seven series. I would expect Houston to win you know, six and a half times or something like that. I just, I think people underestimate how much of a chance the Phillies actually would have in a series like this. Totally. Um, and I will point out that in 1906, the 93-win White Sox, the the legendary hitless wonders, did beat the 116-win Chicago Cubs. So the underdog did win that time. So don't, don't count out the Phillies. I'm going to go look that one up, and I'm going to assume that in the entirety of that World Series, there were nine strikeouts, because that seems like how baseball was played that day. Um, prediction time. I, I mean, I have to take the Astros, because I, I can't think of a good reason not to. It's not going to be a sweep. It's not going to go seven. I think the Astros are going to win. I think six is the coward's guess. So that's what I'm going to go. Six. I, I mean, they generally feel the same way. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say about the Phillies is like, you know, people every year, it's always like, oh, is this team, is this team built for the postseason? Like, oh, maybe this is just, they're just built for the postseason. I don't really think that with the Phillies, at least in pitching, because like usually the one thing you can say reliably is deep bullpen is really what carries you in um, a postseason. On the offensive side, though, they hit for power. 
home runs. They hit a lot of home runs. They've been hitting a lot of home runs. It's not just fluke home runs. It's like Bryce Harper. It's Kyle Schwarber. It's Reese Hoskins. Like, this team is built to hit home runs, and that's how it's playing out. So in that sense, that's the one aspect where, like, this is a team that's well built for the postseason. That said, that they, it kind of reminds me a little bit of – there's three teams that remind me of. 2007 Rockies, 2012 Tigers, 2015 Mets. Two teams that, like, underachieved a little in the regular season, got really hot in the postseason, swept in the LCS, and it was like, no one's stopping them now. Like, these guys look – they have it. Whatever it is, this is it. And then they got to the World Series and they got beaten pretty easily. And I'm not saying they're going to get beaten that easily, but I just feel like, is Harper really going to keep doing this? I don't know. The Astros pitching is really good. It's not a knock on Harper. It's just the Astros pitching is really good. So I will not be a coward and I will say Astros in five. Yeah. When you say can Harper keep doing this, what it made me think of is can Altuve and Tucker keep doing this? And by this, I mean nothing. Like nothing at all. The team has not lost a game yet. They've gotten nothing from those guys. That all right, well, then, okay, then who's your who's your World Series MVP pick? Alex Bregman. All right, that's easy. Alex Bregman because he's got a special brand of hitting 380 foot fly balls to left field, and these are two fantastic parks for that. So he's not even going to hit the ball hard. He's going to get three home runs. He's going to win the MVP. That's easy. I'm going with Kyle Tucker just because he's done so little. He's got nowhere to go but up. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I do think just before we uh, depart here, there are some parallels to be drawn with last year's World Series winning team, the 88 win Atlanta Braves, who came into the World Series against the favored Houston Astros, dot, dot, dot. And then what happened? Well, let's also talk about the 2019 Nationals, the only team I think that had like a worse record through 50 games to make the World Series than this current release team. <laughs> Another NL East underachieving team who snuck through the uh, the postseason and beat the uh, beat the Astros in the World Series. I'm excited to watch it. I think there's going to be two competing narratives just in terms of like joy and vibes, right? On one hand, you'll have everybody wants Dusty Baker to win a World Series as a manager. Like that is a hugely compelling story. On the other hand, the residents of 49 states don't want to see the Astros win the World Series. So for the first time in the history of sports, a Philadelphia sports team will be America's darlings. which is going to be really fun to watch. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.